Imagine with me a father in the garage working. He's building a bookshelf. It's something simple, but nonetheless, he needs his tools. A power saw, a drill, screws, maybe a hammer and nails, wood glue, sandpaper, primer, paint, paintbrushes. And his three-year-old son, seeing the work dad is doing, has an idea. He runs into the house, grabs his Home Depot-branded toy toolbox, and brings it out to the garage. He pulls out his plastic hammer and dull tooth saw and joins his father's task. Without a doubt, it's a cute scene. A son imitating his father, using his toys to simulate the real thing. But ultimately, the garage with real tools being used to make a real bookshelf is no place for a child with his toys and his imagination. And this is the kind of attitude Christians often encounter in academic settings. Your Christian beliefs are cute, but they have no place in the lab where real knowledge is obtained. It's not something you can really build your life on. They're more like the imaginings of a child than the critical thinking required of adults. Such an idea is encouraged by scientists and writers like Richard Dawkins. In his popular book, The God Delusion, he writes, If you don't understand how something works, never mind. Just give up and say, God did it. You don't know how the nerve impulse works? Good. You don't understand how memories are laid down in the brain? Excellent. Is photosynthesis a baffling complex process? Wonderful. Please don't go to work on the problem. Just give up and appeal to God. Our culture, and especially the classroom, is a hostile environment for the Christian worldview. And so it's natural to feel intimidated and to begin to believe that our Christian beliefs are really much closer to fairy tales than to truth that you can stand on. So what can we do about this? What can we say? What can we know? Are we forced to keep our Christian faith at home, convinced that it has nothing to say about what we know about our world, about ourselves, about reality? Is science really the only way we can know things? Welcome to the seventh episode of Breadcrumbs, our youth ministry podcast at Bread of Life Church. I'm Jason Lowe, the youth minister at Bread of Life. This episode is part one of two, exploring the relationship between science and faith. In part one, our concern is epistemology, the study of knowledge and in particular, justified knowledge. What makes our knowledge and our beliefs reasonable? Now, before we begin, we should be clear on a few things. First is that the idea that we gain certain knowledge only through science is an idea that we call scientism or naturalism. Second, the process of science relies on our senses and natural properties or causes to know and to describe reality. And then third, the study of philosophy is a search for wisdom and knowledge through the asking and answering of questions, and it can be applied to a great number of different areas, like biology, physics, mathematics, ethics, or morality, religion, and so on. And it's the idea of scientism or naturalism that we intend to challenge in this podcast. In fact, what we're going to suggest to you are two things. First is science isn't the only way to know truth. It's not the only way to have knowledge. 
And second, science itself actually points us to a creator. So let's begin and evaluate the idea that scientific discovery is the primary or even the only way that we gain knowledge. Now, if I'm honest, I'm not really qualified to make such an evaluation, so I needed to look for some help. And so to help me make that evaluation, I connected with Salvador or Sal Cordova and Chad Palmer, who are both members of McLean Bible Church in Washington, D.C., and they serve as members of the apologetics ministry at the church. Sal has a background in molecular biophysics, and he's done research with renowned geneticist John Sanford. He is a self-described skeptic who came to Jesus when he began to see the design and creation and the creator behind it. Chad has a background in atmospheric science, but has more recently turned his attention and energy to Christian philosophy and apologetics. And so I had a conversation with Sal and Chad, and one of the key points I took from our discussion is that while science helps us to know a lot about many things, there are just certain things that science isn't equipped to say anything about. For example, Sal referenced a theory about the origin of life that imagined an infinite number of universes of which ours is just one, and Sal observed that such a theory was both unprovable and untestable, and that seemed to me to be an important point. Hmm. Wait. So when you say untestable or unproved, it sounds like you're 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 pushing outside of science. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. What they have done is conflated what we call naturalism, the idea basically that there's no God, with science, and that's not that's not what science is about. Science is about trying to find um, explanations, trying to understand the natural world. I think maybe science doesn't directly address the supernatural or the natural at all. But what ended up happening is a lot of scientists said, well, science says there's no such thing as God. Science doesn't say anything about that. Science uh, makes observations, forms hypotheses, and tries to test it out. And so uh, what I'm actually seeing is some people that advocate that there is no God, they're pretending to be scientific when they make these statements about universes that they themselves can't see. And I I was just thinking, well, how's that really fundamentally different from trying to invoke an unseen God, except their God is, is a God that they're not accountable to. So the question of the origin of life has taken scientists to the point of theories that step outside of science. But this one question was just the tip of the iceberg for me. As we continue to talk, I saw that in Chad's own experience, his heated scientific discussions with friends ignored the reality that such discussions were taking place based on certain assumptions that weren't really scientific, but philosophical. You know, when I came back to Christ, like in, uh, in like the, the mid 90s, when I you know, came to grad school and came back to Christ and that kind of stuff, and, you know, I gravitated towards like, you know, just defending the faith and that kind of stuff. And you know, I had a lot of atheist friends. You know, a lot of times we just would get in so far into the weeds. Like, well, I was like debating neutrinos and like muon particles and that kind of stuff. And, and it was, I was just like, man, we're really just, you know. <laughs> just for the record, Chad, that, those two terms you just used mean nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, I mean, you know, it's just, it, it's, you know, it's getting like really far into the weeds. And it's like, you know, yeah. definitely Sal's more qualified to do that than I am probably, especially with like, you know, genetics and that kind of stuff. And that's his like specialty. But I just realized that like, you know, and it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, there's got to be a better way to, you know, kind of like talk about the Christian faith. And then ran into someone called Dr. Bonson and he 
he did something called presuppositional, presuppositional apologetics. And I just call it worldview apologetics. It's a little bit easier to understand because most people don't know what presuppositional means. Sure. But what it is is you just, you just go after the philosophical assumptions that undergird people's worldviews. People sit there and have these assumptions. And the problem is a lot of times that we as Christians, we make the mistake of just going along with their assumptions. Mm. And that's where we that's where we go horribly wrong. And it's like you know, so basically, we basically concede the argument and then try to and then try to argue. Yeah, it's kind of like saying to someone, "Oh, I think you're right, but let's let me try to argue anyway." But rather than saying, "Okay, well, all right, let's take a look at your worldview. Let's take let's let's you know explore those assumptions." Like for example, like the scientism one, like oh, that science is the only way we know everything. Yeah. Now the question I would ask is like, okay, can you scientifically prove that? I think that's a good question. Can you? It's hard to think of a way to do that. In his book titled Scientism and Secularism, J.P. Moreland, an author and professor at Biola University, he argues that scientism itself is a philosophical statement expressing an epistemological viewpoint, right? a viewpoint about knowledge, about science. It is not a statement of science. He further explains that it's a philosophical assertion that claims that philosophical assertions are neither true nor can be known. Only scientific assertions can be true and known. Seems a little backward or ironic, doesn't it? Both Chad and Dr. Moreland are saying that science isn't the only way to know things, and that in fact, there are things that we have questions about that science can't really help us find answers for. So in other words... The idea that science is the only way that we can gain knowledge or scientism just isn't true. There are a whole host of important questions that science can't touch. And so we come to the second idea that I wanted to consider in this episode, which is that science itself points us to a creator. You know, when we look at some of the laws that govern the natural world, like the ideal gas law or the law of gravity, we find a level of fine-tuning there that is practically impossible if indeed the world is a product of random chance and processes. And so it becomes not too unreasonable to suggest that this points us to the idea that the world is instead the product of a designer. And then also we're finding that the structure of the universe is finely tuned. It looks like it is very well designed. If we uh, if we took any sort of random set of parameters, like say the gravitational constant or Planck's constant, or any number of things, and just tweaked it a little bit, there wouldn't even be any chemistry. We'd just have dead universes that had no chemistry. Life wouldn't even be uh, any meaningful notion of life would not uh, would not even exist. And I know you know Sal will probably go into all the probabilities and how crazy that is, like you know from a scientific perspective. So. Yeah, before you before you hopped on, he did talk about the crazy probabilities and the the idea of uh, infinite universes and ours happening to be the one that meets the requirements for life that we observe. Yeah, yeah, and I figured, yeah, and I, yeah, I figured, I, like he he's, I mean, he's got all. I mean, he, when he gave his presentation a couple of weeks ago, he was like the, the dizzying figures. I'm just like, wow, and people believe this happened. <laughs> Actually, one of the powers, I think, of that argument is the fact that scientists are, are so very aware of those constants and, and the numbers. I mean, they, when they've crunched it, you know, that many times, they realize that if you change it slightly, that it really throws everything off. Yeah. Yeah. What was the most powerful thing is 
I didn't get those numbers from Bible believers. Mm-hmm. They came from people that were hostile to the Bible and Christianity. Right. So, so the figures that I quote weren't concocted as, as a preaching tool. Yeah, you're speaking their language. Yes, but, but they're the ones that, that brought me back to Christianity. So, so God uses tools you wouldn't expect. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So, so when someone says, how is it compatible? I would say the reason it's compatible is God created nature to testify of him. And science ultimately is a gift from God. It is not his enemy. And what has happened that I've seen with these in the scientific communities, they're having to come to terms with this, is nature is pointing to a God. And they're finding all sorts of concoctions to run around that. At some point, I said, guys, you're now the ones that are making up fairy tales that you can't prove. You have violated the scientific method the way that you've defined it. Mm. And I said, well, now the playing field is level. What Sal and Chad helped to explain is that in large part, what's going on in scientism is a commitment to a worldview that necessarily excludes God. Is this that you know they because they're committed to their worldview, and that's the thing that you know shows through with that is this their ultimate commitment to their worldview. They're like, okay, well, my because the worldview is what they is what they interpret everything through, mm-hmm. and that's the biggest thing that's that we have to understand when we're doing apologetics. Because I mean, because to us, it's kind of obvious. I think it's like it's kind of obvious that this is all pointing to God, but to that, but to them, it's like, okay, well, no, there is no God. Okay, now how do I interpret this evidence so that there is no God? And then you know they'll have to do. I mean, they will do mental gymnastics to the extreme in order to do that. Yeah. And that's, and I've run into that. Cause I mean, I debated an atheist biology professor, a friend of mine on Facebook all the time. And he even conceded, he's like, you know what? I'm just not comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable giving God credit for this. You see this perspective of scientism isn't just about objective reality and figuring out what that is. It's another form of sinful rebellion and wickedness by humanity who is unwilling to acknowledge their maker. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, the Apostle Paul writes, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And what we encounter in the classroom and in public conversation is no surprise to God. In fact, he warns Christians to be wary. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. And so, at a foundational level, this is what's going on in the world of scientism and in a lot of the conversations and attitudes that we find in our classrooms. So what do we do about this? What can we take away from our discussion in this episode? Well, first, I want to encourage you to keep learning. Read, listen, and think about science and philosophy, and especially theology. If you feel unprepared to talk about these issues, take steps to be more prepared. And maybe the most important preparation 
something that Chad pointed out in our conversation, is to know the wisdom of God that he gives us through his word. Spend time reading it, thinking about it, understanding who he is and what he says about himself and what he says about this world and what he says about humanity. Second, don't be intimidated by the statements and claims made by those who think theology and the Bible are just fairy tales and have no relationship to truth or knowledge. Science is a wonderful gift from God, and we should take it seriously. The knowledge that we gain through science is of great value. But science has its limits. There are things to know that science just can't tell us. There are other ways to know things. And then finally, check out our additional resources to investigate more about science and faith and the relationship between the two. Thanks for joining us in this uh, September episode of Breadcrumbs, and we look forward to seeing you again in October as we finish up uh, part two of our series on science and faith.